0: Ashes to ashes, fun to funky. Oh, what a catch!
3: Ben Stokes. Kashpravich, oh, the man to go, and Harmison has done it. Now, if England wanted a hero,
0: who've they got? Striding in, Monty Panesar.
2: The Cricket Badger Ashes
0: 2019 podcast brought to you in association with Cricket 365, with your host James Butler, Cricket 365 Zolly Fisher, and
2: journalist Akash Shiva
3: Hello everybody, welcome along to the final, the eighth and final Ashes Cricket Weekly Cricket Badger podcast. And joining me as always to lament the end of the season, to celebrate what's been a wonderful summer. I have Ollie, and I have an Akash that isn't in Sheffield today, he's actually over in India. Did you get across safely Akash, you okay? I'm fine, thank you. Good stuff. Been a wonderful summer, Akash, hasn't it? In terms of the cricket that we've seen—the World Cup, the Ireland Test match, then the Ashes series that's followed—2019 will go down as a
2: summer that we'll remember for a long time. Go down as one of the best for England cricket. I'm not sure about the other countries, though, because the other countries will still rue their uh, missed chances over the World Cup. Well, that's their problem, isn't it? Ollie, it's uh, it's been been tremendous,
3: isn't it? I mean, I know you've been uh, to quite a number of the games in person as well. Yeah, we've, we've maybe had a little bit of rain at times, but that's an English summer for you. But the cricket itself has been has been fantastic.
4: Yeah, I feel a little bit sad in a way because it is kind of like the end of um, what's been a really entertaining summer. Obviously, we, we had what I think was probably the best World Cup we could have hoped for. A little bit of rain aside, as you say, but that's stereotypically and quintessentially English. Um, but, you know, the way that England were laying down on the floor and then they rose back up and they won the final in the most dramatic of circumstances that was obviously a perfect start and then we've seen a really really good uh competitive ashes series which has ended up 2-2 which obviously we'll come on to but I think that was a pretty fair result yeah I don't know I feel a little bit sad because I'm kind of thinking to myself is it going to really get any better than this uh, you know for for a long time at least but um but no it's been really good and yeah I have a lot of memories from this summer that'll that'll last for a long time. Well,
3: that's the challenge for the ECB, isn't it, and for cricket itself, is to take the head of steam that it's got over the 2019 summer and, and to try and roll that forward and, and keep people excited.
4: Yeah, that's exactly what they've got to, to be looking to do. And there's absolutely no excuse, really, because, as I say, we we've won the World Cup, which was the perfect... Start to the summer, it gave the perfect platform for what promised to be a very, very exciting Ashes series. And it has ended up being that way. Um, of course, we didn't get the result that we wanted from an English perspective. But hopefully those who were, turn, uh, were tuning into cricket for the first time because of the World Cup watched a bit of the Ashes, got behind the hype of that and, and saw some really, really close test matches that genuinely went right down to the wire. Um so now, as you say, it's the ECB's job to capitalise on this, to keep promoting the involvement of young players in the game. And uh to, to basically inspire the next generation, which the players themselves have sort of done their part of it now. So I really hope that it sparks a boom in English cricket, just as we saw after that summer in two thousand and five, which obviously seems a long way a long time ago now.
3: And Akash, Australia failing to win that final test match. I know they wanted to go to the oval and take a win to actually win the series outright. But for Tim Payne's men, it's job done, isn't it? They, they're the ones with the urn in their back pocket, getting on the plane and
2: going back to Australia with a smile on their face. That's exactly true. Uh, I think uh, Tim Payne would be happy with the performance, but uh, I wouldn't be sure he'd be happy with everyone's for, for performance because uh, some players did not, did not quite uh, come up to the expectations. Uh, we had discussed about one player, such as Usman Kawaja before the series, who we thought would be a key player during the course of the series, but quite unlikely other players, he could not uh, keep up the pace and he could not score runs. So that that will be a disappointment for Australia. But apart from that, I think even that cameo last performance from Mitchell Marsh was good. So I think it's a good uh, summer for Australia coming to England and performing at this level, even though people didn't expect them to. So I think it's a good summer for them also.
3: He preempted my follow-up question there a little bit in that There are a few people on that plane heading back to Australia who maybe saying don't deserve to be Ashes winners is maybe a little bit too strong, but certainly didn't actually contribute too much. David Warner, his performance at the top of the order for Australia, the worst performance ever in Test cricket, I think, in terms of a return, a run return across a five match series. Usman um, Kowaji you mentioned, but Cameron Bancroft, Travis Head, a number of the top order, same with England, just didn't really come across and, and bring their A-game, did they? You know, They were very reliant on two men with the bat, Australia. Steve Smith, who we've talked about no end on this podcast, and uh, Manus Labashain.
2: Uh, exactly. These two players were key for Australia. But, uh, I mean, we keep missing the third player, but he's been quite good for Australia. And even in the last match, when he came up against off Archer... When when the situation was too much for too much to ask for an Australian batsman, he stepped up and he played an excellent inning. So I think Matthew Way too has a future in this Australian setup because his batting alone is is quite good enough. And then the questions rightly asked are the top is the top order good enough to play test cricket? But which which I think would be asked. And if Australia are playing back home, I don't think David Owner would be much of an issue because the pitches and conditions are gonna be gonna quite suit him and his style of play. But when he came to England, it's quite, it's quite uh, difficult in contrasting to the to the pitches in Australia. So I think probably they would say, to "David Warner, you have to perform. And you have to step up because he's a key player. And when he gets going, he can really deliver and he can really score a hundred runs in in just uh, just one session or two. So I think it's high time Australia decide on who's ready for the future and who's who's ready for the for the next series. That little. Uh... Contratongue
3: or fight or bit of drama, the theatre, the the battle between Jofra Archer and, and Matthew Wade, Ollie, on, uh, in that Test match at the Oval. There was about 20 minutes, half an hour there, which basically just explained to everybody that was watching why Test match cricket provides those, those moments that no other form of cricket can really, can they? That red ball fight between Archer, who was steaming in, getting angry with uh, Matthew Wade, who was just staring back at him. That was proper, proper cricket
4: yeah it absolutely was i was i was sort of sat on the edge of my seat during that entire as you say 15 20 minutes i just thought it, it's the pinnacle of what test cricket's all about how you know within in 5 days you can just get these little half an hour storylines these battles between two players that are just so engrossing to watch and obviously the two players that were involved as well you kind of got Wade, who's, um, you know, back against the wall, but just looking and fighting for any kind of way to stay alive. you got Archer, who's absolutely steaming in and basically looking to knock him over. Yeah, it's just so, so compelling to watch and... I challenge anybody, even even people who haven't, you know, haven't watched cricket before to to see that sequence of play and not understand that these players are putting absolutely everything on the line, physically and psychologically, in these short bursts and in these short passages of games and they, they can make a difference when it comes to the hole. But yeah, it was a it was just one of many battles that's been great to watch during this during this series and it, as I say it was part of a good test match, at least from an English point of view. Um, but yeah, it, it's just what test cricket's all about. And it's one of those things, isn't it,
3: with one day cricket obviously has its place. White ball cricket certainly has its place. We saw that at the start of the season. But when you get a test match series and it develops and you get these battles that develop and they grow and people have bad times followed by good times. I always describe a, a test match and test match series is like a really classic feature film. You get the lulls, the calm before the storms, but then you get the highs of a either a six and, and a, a flurry of runs or a battle like we saw at uh, the oval test match cricket to me it has to be preserved i know this crowd's disappearing in some parts of the world but we always get good crowds in england and it's something
4: we should cherish it absolutely is yeah it's my favorite form in the game to watch personally and always has been you know although that opinion might not be shared by by people my age or or younger younger spectators definitely but it's one of those things that you've got to appreciate that this is the traditional form of cricket this is the way that it was it's it's you know always been played throughout history really um and it's still capable of producing some of the some of the most amazing pieces of drama but doing so over a number of days and then doing so over a number of test matches basically means you've you could potentially have a month and a half, two months where you've got a nation gripped by a particular series, as as we've seen England have in in the past decade or so. But it, yeah, I, I've said on on here before. I think it's like a Shakespeare play in a way. You you have so much uh, so much drama, so much intensity. You've got plots and subplots. You've got all these different main protagonists in it. Feature films are pretty good way to describe it as well. But yeah. You see series like this, and you, and obviously we've got the World Test Championship, and that's the the big scheme in all of this. Uh, but Test cricket's here to stay, surely.
3: Akash, how how do we get other countries to really appreciate Test match cricket like we do in England and and the Australians do as well? Yeah, there is something special that needs to be cherished because we
2: are seeing crowds diminishing elsewhere, aren't we? I don't think we can do much about it because the game itself is a real uh, gem, and I think people should be just odd and Attracted towards it, and then just they should just naturally come and watch test cricket, which because this is the best form of cricket, this is the best form that even a T20 cannot provide. A T20 will get over in three hours, but a fight like this will go on for five days, and both teams go head to head, neck to neck, and they battle it out.
3: The Cricket Badger podcast is brought to you in association with Cricket365.com, their ethos. We love cricket and want to make the world love it as much as we do. Join them at Cricket365.com. Thank you very much to them for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. There are sort of scoring points wise, some strange situations with the world test championship in terms of the draws and in terms of like a two match series you get 60 points for each test match England against Australia across five test matches still playing for the same 120 points but at least the world test championship is starting to actually collectively bring the countries together and give them something to aim for it it might not be
2: perfect but it's a start isn't it Akash? Well that's true It, it it's a good start but certainly I'm not I'm not impressed or Uh, happy with the way the point system has been or the way, I mean, the names have been printed on the back of jerseys because that's not Test cricket for me. For a person who's been watching Test cricket, I don't want to see names on back of a jersey or I don't want to see uh, them battling it for points. But then again, uh, if you look at the bigger picture, the larger picture, we can see that more spectators and more audiences attracted because they're making Test cricket more attractive to people. So I think that's a good move, but not necessarily the way they have done it now.
3: I disagree with you, Akash, on the, on the names and the numbers on the backs of jerseys in match Rookie. I think that's been a, a, a terrific thing. Ollie, th- where do you stand on that? I, 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 the only thing that I am not quite so sure about is the fonts that some of the countries might be using. I think England's were a little bit... Well, they, they were different to Australia's, and I think there should be a standardised font for every single country around that's you know fairly bold that everybody can see. But I, I really like the fact that numbers are on the backs of shirts this summer.
4: I think it's... I do, I'm looking at this two ways. I think on one hand, it's kind of modernising Test cricket just for the sake of it. And they're trying to almost sort of move it certainly more towards white ball stuff, but almost just towards football stuff in terms of, you know, having a name on the number on, on the back of a shirt and that carrying more importance than it did before i don't really understand what purpose it serves within games themselves you know i don't know you know they've they've made the decision to use it i i agree with you on uh, the standardization of fonts i think that just makes a lot of sense because you've got like england with that thin font and then australia you're just going full whack with the old italics which looked quite funny in comparison to ours but i don't know i don't really have an opinion on it either way to be honest it's not something that massively affects my enjoyment of the game either way um so it's good for you though james because you can get balance 19 on the back of your england shirt exactly exactly
3: <laughs> I'm, wearing, I'm wearing it now i'm wearing it now <laughs> we'll get on to that chat in a second we're going to pick our uh, england squad for new zealand by the way listeners if as we go through this uh, final podcast of the ashes weeklies but just before we, g- we get onto to that part of the show. To all as a series result, Ollie, do you think that's
4: the, a fair reflection of what we've seen? Very fair, to be honest. Very fair. I think it would have been harsh had Australia won three-one, uh, especially if the test at the Oval had have been a lot closer. Um, I had a, I think. England didn't do enough to regain the Ashes for me. We've we've pointed out over the previous podcasts the gaping holes in our in our eleven and the moments that we had where we've let games slip away. I think Australia have relied on and you know two or three key figures, but I guess that's what good teams do. And I think if you'd have said to them. You know, be, before this series started, look, you're going to win two tests. They bat themselves to retain the urn because you know you got to assume that there's not going to be five results in an Ashes series. So I think there's probably still a lot of question marks surrounding both teams as well moving forward. Uh, it, it potentially raises more issues than it's answered. Does this series? But in terms of a spectacle and in terms of how the end result has has panned out, I think two two is is pretty fair. I can't really argue with that.
3: Two two, I think, actually kind of makes England look a little bit better than they were. I spent most of these Ashes weeklies criticizing England's top order. I think bowling-wise the two teams are fairly well matched. I just think England's batting against the bowling was worse than Australia's batting against the bowling or two or three players batting against the bowling because it was really Steve Smith, stroke minus Labuschagne, stroke a little bit of Matthew Wade that was the difference in this this test series for me and as an Englishman coming into the the oval I was obviously hoping that England were going to win the test match because I'm always hoping that England are going to win a test match. But in a way, I think two things that have happened this summer have papered over the cracks massively in this England side. I think that the Ben Stokes heroics at Headingley were incredible. One of the best things I've I've ever watched on, on the television screen. But certainly got England out of jail. The results at at the Oval in the final test match, regardless of what Australia said about wanting to win that test match, just subconsciously, even if it was two percent, I think they were just a little bit down on previous performances and allowed England to come in and win it. England, I think, probably played a little bit better. There's a few players that have maybe got themselves on a winter trip that I would prefer to see England now just drawing a line and saying, right, let's move forward. Let's take a different side. Let's have a different approach to Test match cricket and let's plan ahead for the next four years. Akash, did you, I mean, obviously you're watching this with your Australian rose-tinted glasses on, did you think 2-2 was a fair result in this series?
2: Well, I agree with uh, some of the points that you said and I, I certainly agree with both of your views on why 2-2 is a perfect, uh, perfect result for this series and my explanation would be that I think both teams did not play extremely well and both teams did not play equally bad as well. So I think 2-2 was kind of the... Right result for the series where both teams did not did not have an upper hand over the others. I think both of them dominated in some parts during the series, but not the entire series. So I think two two was a fair result, and two uh, two is a good result for both sides to take away because then they can they can really uh, discuss and hammer down on spots where they they think the some players did not play to their potential and some some players who had to be dropped after some bad performances. So I think two two is the right result.
3: I mentioned the Ben Stokes heroics, maybe Rob in Australia at, uh, at Headingley, but then there was obviously at Lords, England were very much in the ascendancy there, weren't they? Akash, so you're right. There have been ups and downs for both sides as they've gone through, and it has been. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll talk about him again very quickly because he deserves to be talked about. Steve Smith has just been ridiculously, bonkersly, madly, freakishly, geniusly
2: amazing throughout the summer. Well, I think Steve Smith is a legend. I think I. I mean, more than. Any other form, I think, Test cricket belongs to him. Even after missing for a year, the way he came back and just three innings regained his uh, position at the top of the top of the rankings, I think is is a genuinely good guy and a good uh, performance from him. And more importantly, to to have scored seven hundred over seven hundred runs in, in the course of this series, I think it's a really great achievement. And probably two or three more innings, and he could have gone beyond uh, Don Bradman. So. It just says a lot about Steve Smith, even without uh, actually giving him the adjectives that we have to.
3: I, I liked his comment in the press conference after the Oval Test, when England had got him out cheaply for the only time in the series. Off his hip, caught a kind of leg slip. And uh, he said, I think um, Tim Payne was sat next to him and said, oh, he's coming and said, oh, they're all going to be putting leg slips in towards me now. And Steve Smith was there uh, smiling. And he said, uh, I, think, I can't remember his comment exactly, but he finished it with it. Yeah, bring it on, because I don't think he sees that as a major threat. It was just a one-off dismissal. And if everybody puts a leg slip at uh, Stephen Smith, he just thinks that's a catcher that isn't somewhere else that might catch me somewhere else. He he seems to be very much in control of his own game. He's come into the summer under somewhat of a cloud with the likes of loutish lout- likes of Ollie booing him. But he's come out of the end of it with applause ringing in his ears. He's, he's, he's almost won the, the doubters is over, hasn't he, as he's gone through the
4: summer. I think so, definitely. His stats speak for themselves, really, scoring 770 odd runs. Um, he, he was the leading run scorer in the series by 333 runs, I think it was. And he's done that in three innings less than second place Ben Stokes. So that just says everything that you need to know, really. Kind of performance, kind of series where you run out of superlatives. You know, the, there's definitely a period where you're watching it with from an England point of view, with intense frustration thinking, can we just have some kind of plan and stick to it and, and get him out cheaply for once? But then once you realise that that's not going to happen anytime soon, you kind of just have to sit back and admire the greatness that you're watching. Um, it, it was fantastic to see. And obviously there's a lot that's come out after after that final test about the players in the dressing room, sort of, you know, having a beer and and reflecting on the series together. And it was nice to see such a warm reception from the England players towards Steve Smith, as if to say, look, it's good to have you back. And, you know, he was pretty unbeatable in this series. He's kind of won it for them single-handedly, it almost feels like. But, um, but that's what the best players do. And I think he's he's definitely the most informed batsman in the world right now. So tip my hat to him and say fair play in terms of answering the critics and answering what you'd call the haters. He's he's done a fantastic job of that. The best way to, to stop a, a boisterous crowd is just to score runs. And that's exactly what he did.
3: There was a little feature on Sky where Mike Atherton was talking to Justin Langer and Justin Langer said just after he'd finished playing, he'd just played his final match for Somerset and hung up his first-class boots and gone into coaching and he was throwing down some balls to Stephen Smith. And he did it for about an hour and he came back to some of the other coaches in the Australian setup, and he said, don't say it. This guy's got, you know, he's not going to be a cricketer. He can't bat. He was walking across his stumps and flicking me through mid wicket. He was playing really ridiculous shots. He, he's not going to score any runs in test match cricket. And then he just rolled his eyes and smiled at Mike Atherton and said, coaches get it wrong. And Steve Smith is one of those guys that just can do things that are different to other people, aren't they? He's almost like, you know, when you get your new bat for Christmas and you go up in front of your bedroom mirror and you're making the clicking sounds as you're playing every single ball to the boundary. He's one of those, isn't he, who can just seem to be able to put the ball anywhere he wants to put it
4: he just plays some incredible i mean even from the shots that he doesn't play that lightsaber leave that he's adopted and i've seen other players sort of pick up on that you just look at it and think jesus what is he what is he doing there His, his technique is what i guess you'd describe as unorthodox there's not a lot of strokes that he plays that you would find in the textbook everything from his sort of trigger movement the way he likes to shift his body weight he seems to be able to play this shot that He's neither on the front foot or the back foot, but somehow he manages to punch through the offside. He did it a a couple of times in that oval test, and he's done it a few times throughout the series, where I just think, well, if I'm a bowler and I see a batsman playing that kind of shot, regardless of if it's Steve Smith, I'm thinking, right, I've, I've got him in a good position here. But you never really feel like you're on top of Steve Smith. It's a weird one. Yes, we got him out cheaply once, but that almost felt like a bit of a freak. Bad ball down the leg side, and yes, the catching leg slip a bit of a wide leg slip managed to to mop it up but uh i yeah i don't know he, he's a bit of a freak really in a way but in in both terms of technique and in terms of the numbers that he's putting up it works for him so fair play to him as i say tip my cap to him he's had an amazing series and it is good to have him back to his best
3: it reminds me sometimes of when you're playing french cricket as a kid and you've got you're your facing the bowler and you've got your mm. bat in front of you. And he, he just basically, so many bowlers for England this summer have had their hands on their heads thinking they've got him. And just at the last minute, the middle of the bat comes and pushes it through mid-wicket for more runs. And Akash, when England have had their plans to him, they've obviously sat and thought about it and they've wondered how they're going to get Steve Smith out. My only criticism of, of England in this summer when it comes to Steve Smith is maybe they haven't been quite patient enough. They've had the plan of sticking it out on maybe sixth stump and then they got bored of that before Steve Smith got bored of it. And then, yeah, you know, they've gone for something else. And they got bored of that before Steve Smith got bored of it. And it's almost seen that Steve Smith has been conducting the orchestra rather than England conducting
2: him. That's not entirely England's fault because for a team, they could do only that much. They could just pull 20 overs straight at that line. After that, there there is a point where the frustration starts growing. So I think uh, it's full marks to Steve Smith because the way he, weathered the storm in the early overs where the ball was seeming or the ball was swinging... And to, to just then score runs for fun and then to just flick the bowlers in such fine fashion. So I think it's full marks to Steve Smith because he's soaked in all the pressure and, and then he's given it to, to, to the bowlers. So I don't think we can tell much to the bowlers. It, it, it He could do the same thing to as much as all the world-class bowlers. So I think it's only Steve Smith's greatness. Absolutely.
3: And it's great to have him back, as Ollie suggested. You know, he may have just done for our country and he may have just denied us the Ashes win at home for the first time since 2001, but... What a fantastic player. And he's just fan- he's just great to watch. He's going to take a while to burn off my retinas because i just watched him back for so many hours over this summer. But it's been very good to see because he's a very, very fine player. So congratulations to Australia. We send them packing back to the Australian uh, outback. And they've had a long tour as well, four, five months. Some of them have been here since this, you know, the, the warm-up to the World Cup. So I'm sure they're looking forward to getting back into their own beds too. After the break, we'll come back and we'll have a look at England's team as they uh, prepare for a tour to New Zealand. Discover one of
1: the most beautiful lifestyle resorts in the Caribbean at the Accra Beach Hotel and Spa. Located on the south coast of Barbados, this
3: beachfront property offers 224 rooms, sparkling pools, four restaurants, three bars, an on-site spa event and conferencing facilities and a welcoming team providing
1: unparalleled relaxation to make your stay a memorable one. What are you waiting for? Book your reservation at this award-winning
3: hotel today and experience the Caribbean dream. Right and fellas, I gave you some homework before we uh, convened for this podcast and that was to pick England's team for the New Zealand trip and I gave you a a task of picking your 16 for England and it's going to be interesting to see how our teams alter or or differentiate between them. Shall we start with the batting and we'll start with Akash with your English batsman. It's going to be interesting to see how you look at it as well as not necessarily an England fan but a little bit more maybe dispassionately than me and I, I suggested in the first part of the podcast that I think this is time for England to draw a a line in the sand and look ahead to the next four years, involve the new coach in this, involve Joe Root, say, right, how do you want to play test cricket? Pick your players, go to New Zealand, and this is the start of a four-year process to win the Ashes back in 2023. Akash, who have you got in your batsmen that are absolutely nailed on for this winter?
2: Well, I've picked seven batsmen as well, and... uh... I mean looking at New Zealand, it's gonna be more seeming and a swinging condition. So but spin is not going to be a much of a terror. So my batsman would be Glory Burns who who played well in the ashes. He has had his issues with the short ball, but I think he'll he'll retain his place and he has a good future. And alongside him would be Dom Sibley, because Dom Sibley is one name that you cannot ignore. I mean, if you're Smith, you can. But then, I I mean, nobody can ignore Dom Sibley because he's had such a season. So, I think Dom Sibley is an automatic starter. And at number three, it would be a surprise. But I think uh, Joe Dinley could retain his place for one or two more tours. Because I think he's had the the mentality to just stay and hang on to the crease. And I think uh, England need more batsmen like that. So, I think he would uh, hang on to his... uh, position at number 3 and number 4 would be joe root and my other two batsmen would be uh, northeast and gary balance I, I, I don't know one of them probably i think uh, gary balance over northeast and then the last would be oli pope so that's my sixth batsman
4: okay what about you Ollie? Um, i've picked seven batsmen um i, I thought about doing a sort of 6 6 split with the with the batsmen and bowlers but i've decided to pick seven batsmen just as sort of a premise for the team that I've picked, I, I'm, I've got a feeling you might have gone the same way, James. I don't, I th- I don't think that we're going to go um, and pick deliberately our strongest 16-man squad for this. I think when you look at the New Zealand tour, obviously it's a, it's a pretty quick series that's not part of the World Test Championship. Um, And then we've got to go to South Africa not long after. There's not a big break between the two. We've got South Africa for a a tour over the Christmas period. And then we've got Sri Lanka next March, I think it is. And those two do count as as World Test Championship um, Series. Uh, And the Sri Lanka in particular, you look at that, it's 60 points per match. So that's going to be pretty big. Um, Obviously, we've seen South Africa... There's a lot of question marks surrounding them. They've lost a few pieces of their car in recent years. Their results haven't been terrible at home, but you know they, they, we've got to be go, going into that, looking to, to try and get as many points as possible. So for that reason, I think we'll send um, a bit of an experimentational slash uh, a younger 11 to... A younger squad, sorry, to New Zealand in the hopes of getting them some test experience but also giving those players who need a rest after what has been a heavy heavy summer workload. I think we'll we'll give some, some players a well earned rest, but I think we'll keep sort of a, a core of the team that's gonna gonna keep us competitive in the series. So for that reason I've gone with seven batsmen. I've got Burns in there, I've got Denley, um I've got Sibley as well, I've got Root, I've got Pope. I've got Crawley in there too and North East. So, obviously, there's a there's a couple missing there that you, you may have thought would be in there. Obviously, Roy, his ship has sailed, I'm afraid. Uh, I haven't gone with balance. I think he's had plenty of opportunities for England. Okay, he's had a good county championship season, but, you know, he's he's been found out at test level plenty by now. And also... His, the bulk of his runs came in the early part of the season. He actually hasn't done an awful lot in the second half of the season and he certainly contributed to some of Yorkshire's debatable performances over the last couple of months. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my seven that I've gone with. As I say, it's a younger kind of experimentational 11 where you might see... Three or four players in there that have only got you know one cap between them or something like that, but it is important when the stakes are not quite as high to to get some of these players some some overs under their belt.
3: I've gone along the same route as you, Ollie, as you suggest, and it's not, not totally because of what you've said. It's because I actually want to stick with this young side. I want to take this young side forward. I want to say to them, right, we trust you. You're going to be our squad, our, our nucleus of this test side going forward. So I think we all agree on Rory Burns. We all agree on Dom Sibley as well to come in to to open with him because as everybody said his, his stats speak for themselves and he seems to be a guy that can battle long and and score runs and has a temperament that would be suited for test match cricket. I've got Joe Root in there and he stays as captain for me. Oddie Pope has to come in. His stats just speak for themselves because his first class record it is phenomenal. I've also got some northeastern as well, the Hampshire batsman, all three of us have picked him so there's a there's a prompt for Ed Smith stick Sam Northeast in there. I have I've not put in Zach Crawley because I've looked at his stats as well and obviously a talent but I think maybe another year of Lions followed by getting some more runs for Kent might be a course of action for Zach Crawley. He seems to have tailed off as the summer's gone on and his average isn't particularly impressive, to be honest. He's obviously got something about him, but I think that needs to develop a little bit more. So my seven for the top of the order, Rory Burns, Dom Sibley. I've got Sam Hayne in there from Warwickshire, who I know has got a lot of runs in white ball cricket in the past, but he seems to have got his head around red ball cricket now. So he goes in for me. Um he just edges out Gary Balance. I'm a massive fan of Gary Balance. I think England have wasted their opportunity with Gary Balance. He is a phenomenal player. Look at his first-class record. It is um, sensational. But for two reasons, I'm leaving him out. It's what you said, Ollie, in that he's tailed off this summer. And the other one is, I just want to look after him because I think if he gets back into that England side, if his first couple of scores are low, it's just going to be all of the trolls on social media are going to be ripping his head off He's had some mental health problems in the last 18 months. It's not necessarily the environment you want to be throwing Gary Bounce back into. So, merely for his personal safety, I'm, st- I'm keeping him out of the side. So, um, Burns Sibley, Hain Root, Pope Northeast. And my slightly left field selection, and it's not if you look at his stats, Leicestershire's opener, Hassan Azad. He has scored loads and loads of runs. He bats for an age, he loves to score runs. He's 25. I know it's second division runs, but even if you take 20% off his stats um, to you know, facilitate the, the second division debate, he's still a very, very good batsman. And I think just as a seventh member of that batting lineup, to get him involved, to get him to see what it takes, and to get him yeah, maybe a few of the games on the tours, it's not necessarily a bad thing to start to bring people in. And he looks to me to be somebody who can, he knows how to bat, he, he's a left hander and he knows how to accumulate runs, so Test Match Cricket's all about that, so let's bring Hassan Azad in this winter, and, uh, and blood him, let's see what he can do. Let's move on then, I've got, um, I've, I've split my team, obviously it's 16 in total, I've gone seven batsmen, which we've, we've just discussed, and then I've got four in the middle, which are my all-rounder stroke wicket keepers, and then I've got five others in terms of the bowling department, so I'll, I'll read out my my two all-rounders, Ben Stokes and Sam Curran. If Ben Stokes, for some reason, is going to be rested after what's been a, a ridiculously hectic summer for him, which he's been phenomenal in, um, Lewis Gregory for Somerset would be the person I'd bring in. But for now, until we know Stokes' immediate future. Stokes goes on the plane with Sam Curran, who I thought was superb, actually, in that uh, first innings, particularly the fifth inning. Uh, He's cash next to a roundabout. And then the two wicket keepers, and I've had loads of debates about this on social media in the last week. Um, I am a massive fan of Johnny Bairstow, but he looks shot to me at the moment. He looks absolutely knackered. His white ball cricket has obviously affected his red ball cricket. He's become one of the best batsmen in the white ball game, but it's affected his red ball defence, I think, and the way he sets up in red ball cricket. So I also have a theory that in an 11... You can't have Joss Butler in as a a frontline batsman, but Joss Butler offers something as a batsman. So my wicket-keeper
2: is Joss Butler, and then Ben Foulkes goes as his understudy. Well, I was in the same ballpark, and uh, my reason for not picking best would be just to give him a rest. I think he's played too much cricket in the last one year, so give him some rest and he'll be back roaring. So I think it's a good, good uh, series to give him a rest because the points don't matter and the series against New Zealand. And also, it's a good opportunity to test out Ben Fox against seeming conditions and against New Zealand, that, who we know that uh, who we know that they are world class. So I think it's a perfect condition for Ben Fox to show that he's not just a four-match test player and he can play more. So probably give him a chance and then let's see what he can do. Ollie, would you agree with that?
4: Um, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting one because, you know, obviously you two were both saying about how Bairstow is the one who's kind of in need of a rest. He's had a heavy workload this summer etc. et cetera, right? Butler's had exactly the same workload as Bairstow has. Um, so there might even be a temptation to rest both of them. But I think you've got to take one of them. And I'm taking Bairstow because we need to get him back into form somehow. And I don't think that... I'll say leaving him out. I won't say dropping him because of you know the the various factors that we've that we've mentioned. Um, I don't think that leaving him out is the way to to get him back into form. I think we need to we need to send him if we can. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we chose not to, but send him down there. Hope that he scores a stack of runs and he gets himself back into nick for the the more important series that are coming up. Um, but either way, I've got Berto in there and I've also got folks. Um, you know, I think that's a fairly obvious pick. He's the he's sort of the third one who's knocking on the door and assuming that one of Bearstone Butler is rested, you know, you've got to assume that he's gonna go as the second choice. And have
3: you got Ben Stokes and Sam Curran both in there as well?
4: I do, yeah. Um yeah, I've got both in there. I, again I wouldn't be surprised to see Stokes rested actually, especially because we've seen him, you know, obviously not able to bowl towards the end of the series. Um assuming he's gonna be fit though to go out there and bowl, um because that gives you another option, obviously, as a seamer. Um, but I, he's one of those core, obviously, we're talking about it being a, a young 11 where you're trying out new players. I think he's one of those core, along with Root and Burns and the, you know a couple of the bowlers that will come on to, that you do need to keep in place because they're such an integral part of the team. And honestly, you don't want to feel the joke 11, really. So, um, yeah, I've got I've got Stokes and, and Curran, for obvious reasons. He showed his value to the team towards the end of the Ashes series.
3: It's funny with Stokes, isn't it? Because people are almost assuming that he, he'll want to go to New Zealand because he originally comes from New Zealand. He's got family in New Zealand. But that's not really a reason to pick a test team, is it? <laughs> uh, the fact that you want to take somebody on holiday. Um, it would be a, a perfect time to say, Ben, right from now until that, uh, we need you in South Africa get that shoulder sorted out get yourself sorted out and have a bit of a breather and spend some time with your family It just makes sense to me that so and if that was the case i'll bring in somerset's lewis gregory as i said i think he's had a, a terrific summer and there's one for the future ollie do you want to run down your bowlers then i've got five on my list here i assume you've got the same number who would you yeah. go for bowling department
4: i found this really difficult personally because there's bowlers in there that i'm sort of torn here between picking the five that i'd like to see and the five that i think will go for for the various you know external circumstances that I've got, i'll give you the five that i've got written down and this is what i i would be happy to see this five go i've got ollie stone in there um i've got i've got anderson in there uh, and i'm assuming that anderson's going to be fit for this obviously he's you know, he's not played a test. He's not played a full test this summer. So, therefore, he should be raring to go. And you think, how much how much longer has he got in his kind of test career lifespan? We want to get the most out of him while we can. It'd be good to have him uh, in good form for the for the winter tests that are coming up, as, as we've mentioned. So, I'm going to take Anderson if he's fit. Uh, if not, then I'd potentially throw a broad in there. But I've got Anderson. Uh, I've got Mark Wood, again, assuming he's going to be fit for this. I've got Works. And I've got Jack Leach. Um, so those are those are my five. I found the I found the bowlers the hardest to pick because I have no idea what they want to do in terms of managing workloads, etc. But those are the five that I think could, could do as a good job down there. Um, and you're
3: leaving Joff for Archer
4: out. Yeah, I think Archer will. I think Archer will be rested um he's had a, he's had a very heavy workload this summer we've seen his pace drop off in some of the test matches and he doesn't look as effective when he's doing that so i'm leaving Joff out i think we should be able to to take 20 wickets in test matches in new zealand without jof Archer. we need him fully you know fully fit 100% going into the south africa series and then the sri lanka one after that
3: my five chris wokes who his record abroad isn't fantastic but new zealand is very similar in terms of conditions to england so chris wokes makes the plane probably for that tour and maybe not the others. Um, Jack Leach is the spinner because, as Ollie said earlier, probably only need one spinner um, in that uh, in that trip. Joffre um, Archer, to me, does go. I want to keep him involved in that site and um, keep him learning test cricket. And then Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad, if... And I've got brackets here with a couple of other names behind them. Jimmy Anderson, if he's fit. And I saw an interview with him the other day where he said, I, I really don't know if I'm going to be fit or not. Um, if I'm fit for New Zealand, I'll go. If I'm not fit for New Zealand, it might be South Africa. But if he is fit, you've got to take him. My brackets were Jamie Porter from Essex or Ben Code from Yorkshire because they are those same types of bowler. And I think they could be understudies for Jimmy Anderson if he's not fit. And Stuart Broad is, is the final name on the on the list. Um, Stuart Broad, at the start of this summer, I was thinking this might be the end for him. And there were rumours that he was thinking of retiring at the end of the summer. Whether that happens, because he's been as good as I've seen him for a long time against Australia this summer, whether he just raises his game for such a series remains to be seen. But if he did retire, or if they did decide not to take him on this leg, then Ollie Stone would be uh, my deputy for Stuart Broad in that 16. Akash, your five bowlers.
2: Well, if I was uh, if I was there in the cricket board, I would say take the rest, Stuart Broad, because I think he needs the rest. He's played all the five matches and he's performed well, so I think he. I'll give him the rest and take James Anderson if he's fit, Jimmy Porter, Jofra Archer, Mark Wood and Ollie Stone and probably keep uh, Jack Leach instead of Instead of probably Chris Wokes and give him a rest. So, I think uh, why I'm saying that Chris Wokes needs a rest is because he's looked dull in the ashes towards the end part of the series. So, I think I would give him a rest before taking him on the South African plane. Because in South Africa, we need, uh, we need him. So, I think give him a rest before that series. There were two names as we went down that list that I think were had
3: different ideas. on. Mark Wood was one of them. And obviously, we don't. I'm, I've not seen any updates on his injury situation, which has kept him out of all five Ashes and Test matches. But on the basis that Mark Wood is a, is is the walking wounded all the time, and he was so good in the World Cup in the, with the white ball, I reckon I'd give Mark Wood a some a winter of white ball cricket only, minimise his workload, make sure he gets back fully fit, and then maybe reassess him next summer. And maybe just leave Mark Wood away from the red ball all winter. And the other one was Joe Denley. You both picked Joe Denley in your side. And I'm thinking of the future here. I want to plan now with a team that takes me through four years. And yes, he scored a couple of 50s. He showed his grit and he got 94. But I watched every single ball of each of those three innings. And for me, he looks like a a really nice fella. He looks like somebody that tries his hardest. But he's 33. I don't think he gets any better than he gets than he is now. I thought he had quite a bit of luck in each of those innings. He turns his back on the short ball. He plays and misses outside of his off stump. It's a mute point. I, I can't criticise the selectors if they take him this winter. But personally I think I'd just draw a line on Joe Denley and try somebody that was younger and you know, throw in a Hassan Azad or throw in a Zach Crawley and just say you're one for the future, you're on the squad in the squad instead of Joe but it's a shame he didn't get his six runs at the Oval, wasn't it, and, and make it uh, 100. But he certainly made it hard for the selectors to drop him. You know, he, he, certainly as far as England's batting in the last couple of test matches he concerned, Joe Denley um, stuck his hand up and showed a bit of bravery. So it remains to be seen how they, they treat Joe Denley. But as I say, I think I would probably just leave him out at that side. Are you looking to get your business in front of the cricket world? Join forces with the fastest growing cricket podcast on the web. The Cricket Badger podcast brought to you in association with your business. Take an advert on the pod or become the headline sponsor. Contact us cricketbadger at hotmail.com for some very reasonable prices and join in the fun as the Cricket Badger podcast continues to go from strength to strength. Let's finish the final Ashes podcast of the year. In fact, for two and a half years, really, isn't it? We have had our competition, our predictions competition, running throughout the series. We started with our pre-series picks, and then we have done our um, 10 units on the results of each of the test matches and our 10 units on the other markets with Paddy Power as we've gone through the five Ashes test matches. I won the World Cup edition, And spoiler alert, I haven't won this one. So I'll go through each of the five test matches and tell you where points have been picked up as we've gone through the summer. First test match, right, right, oops, we didn't make any single selections that were right. Second test match, the same, which was the draw. All three of us, gentlemen, picked England to win the third test match so we can all be very thankful to Ben Stokes, His heroics at Headingley because he just got England across the line and England won so 16.16 units returned as a result of that Headingley game the fourth test at Old Trafford Akash picked Australia to win the fourth test match and he returned 26 units as a result of that prediction I got England to win the fifth test match at six to four so 25 units came back to me and Akash, crucial pick as it turned out, went for the fall of the first England wicket to be under 21 overs and he made 18.4 units back from that. So in terms of our match selections as we went through the five match series, Ollie even were in third, 16.16, James Me, 41.16 and Akash picked up 60.56 units. Now, gentlemen, let's refresh our minds. Let's take us all the way back to our pre-series predictions. We were terrible when it came to naming the correct result of the series, Ollie, myself and you. Akash, though, he stuck 10 units on two, two all. So he made 75 units off the back of uh, sticking half of his 20 units on a two all result. None of us picked up any of uh, the correct special results. None of us picked the correct man for the top Australian batsman of the series. Because as a trend, as we went through these predictions, we all stay at steer clear of Steve Smith because we weren't quite sure what he was going to bring. Well, he brought plenty of runs and that's denied us a few of our picks here. Top England batsman, Ollie, you were successful. You had Ben Stokes with all of your stake at 92. So you got back 55 units as a result of that. Top Australian bowler. Akash, quack, quack oops there for you because you went for Mitchell Stark or James Pattinson. But myself and Ollie both picked Pat Cummings in that market. He led the line brilliantly for Australia this summer. So plus 32.5 came to both of myself and Ollie. We all, in some shape or form, picked the top England bowler of the series. Stuart Broad just managed to shade Jofra Archer in the wicket stakes. Ollie, full stakes. James, full stakes. And half stakes from Akash meant 40, 40 and 20 points from that. None of us got Stephen Smith as the player of the series. And all in all, from our pre-series picks, Ollie, you were the winner there, 127.5. I got 72.5, which gave me 113.66 total, which meant I was third behind you two. Akash got 95 points from his pre-series selections. So the winner is because of that final pick of the series where short stakes, Akash chose under-21 overs for the fall of England's first wicket and got himself back 18.4 units as a result of that. Olly finishes on 143.66 points for the summer. Akash is our winner,
2: 155.56. Akash, many congratulations. You have won our competition. Thank you. I don't know how the math added up because it sounded like Oli won and then it's me. So I don't know. It's probably the World Cup finals once again. You were more consistent, Akash. That's what it was. Ollie
3: was very good on his pre-series picks, but then was rubbish throughout the uh, the various individual matches. You were consistently good on both fronts, and therefore just finished on top of Ollie in terms of the competition. And just remind the listeners on who myself and Ollie should be donating money to as a result of your success.
2: My success would go to the British Art Foundation, and you guys would be helping me too, to to fulfil their causes. So I think it's it's a good cause, and you would all agree with me on this one. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, good cause indeed. And uh, they are the
3: beneficiaries of uh, our competition as we've gone through with the Ashes.
0: It's that badger style,
3: gentlemen. That pretty much concludes our work for the summer. It's been a terrific summer, as we said at the start of the show. The World Cup, the uh, Test match against Ireland, the Ashes series has kept us richly entertained as we've gone through this 2019 English summer. Um, Final thoughts on the summer that we've just seen, Ollie. It's been uh, mesmerisingly marvellous for a cricket badger like myself
4: yeah I've, I've enjoyed it from beginning to end. Um, as I said, there's been so many memories from this summer that that I will carry with me for a very long time and just remind me why I love this spot um, and it's been a pleasure to be on here talking about every little twist and turn with you guys and uh, yeah it's, it's just it's just been it's just been a fantastic summer and as I keep saying it, hopefully it inspires the next generation and cricket keeps going from strength to strength in this country.
3: And Akash, it has been brilliant. We've seen a fantastic World Cup. And your boys, you've been supporting Australia throughout the Ashes. You've seen them lift the urn as well. It's been a very memorable time for all of us.
2: It's not just been a memorable time for Australia, but also for all the other countries because everybody has played well in this last four months and they've all performed to their potential, except South Africa, probably. But other countries have performed well. So I think uh, kudos to cricket. And, and as Ollie said, I mean, many tales to tell to the future generation that this summer has been richly, I could say, best in English summer, but I don't know, probably, yeah. Well, I think we
3: should make a date, gentlemen, because as, as we've said, there's plenty of cricket that goes on over the winter. They've been well listened to as well. Thank you to the listeners that have been listening to the World Cup editions and the Ashes editions as we've gone through 2019. My appreciation to both Ollie and to Akash for their time. Over the summer, it's been uh, very much appreciated, both of you gentlemen. But if I could ask for a little bit more of your time as we go through the winter, we could maybe reconvene ahead of New Zealand.
4: Yeah, absolutely. see why not? Should be a good series, that. So, uh, so yeah, makes sense. Well, thank you both
3: and uh, enjoy the rest of your summer. There is obviously plenty of county cricket and finals day of the T20 and all sorts of different things to come. So, cricket hasn't quite finished, but it has for this Ashes Weekly podcast. Akash and Ollie, thank you very much for your
4: time. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Deans.
3: And thank you to you for listening out there. Thank you to Cricket365 for supporting our podcast and to Paddy Power for providing the odds that we've used throughout the summer. And England, the ECB, everybody concerned with cricket, please, please, please look after our game. It's been a richly, superbly rewarding summer. We've seen Owen Morgan lift the World Cup. We've seen a marvellous Ashes series. People from all corners of the globe or all corners of England at least, are starting to tune into cricket. Keep them. Make them watch cricket. Keep them entertained. Make cricket get stronger. And look after Test cricket. They're the messages that I'm going to leave on this Ashes Weekly. But thank you for listening, and we'll see you ahead of the Kiwi trip.